0: Good morning, friends. Uh, It appears I have inadvertently given the wrong verses, Um, so keep your Bibles open at the Hebrews 12, and uh, let me read the final five verses of that reading. You have it uh, on your sermon outline as well. Having heard what we haven't come to, verse 21 tells us what we have come to. But you have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Friends, we've heard the word of God. We've gathered together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me lead us then in prayer to commit our time to him. Father in heaven, we thank you for church. We thank you for your gathering by your saving grace of a people of your very own to yourself, that we might dwell with you and you with us to the praise of your glory. Father, as we gather in the here and now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, so dwell amongst us by your spirit that we might hear your word, that we might repent, that we might believe, that we might rejoice and that we may give thanks to you our heavenly father from whom all grace and mercy flow we pray this in jesus name amen uh, friends uh if you have not read uh the book catch 22 uh, then you've not read one of the more bizarre books ever to be written and uh, some of the more confusing uh books ever to be written has anyone here actually read catch 22 Okay, I'm getting a few hands. Uh, a lot of people have to read it during high school, although the curriculum keeps changing these days. So. Um, You'll have to read it in your own time. Catch-22 is set during World War II and explores all the craziness of what happens during World War II and one of the main characters, Yossarian, uh, at one point goes to a conference uh, led by uh, the commander to help people understand what's going on because Yossarian just wanted to understand why people kept trying to kill him uh, because he didn't have any qualm against anybody and yet all these Germans kept trying to kill him. Uh, He goes to the meeting and all these questions get answered and at one point uh, the questions are summarised as this. Why is Hitler? Who is Spain? And where are the Snowdens of yesteryear? You may have heard that quote uh, before. Why is Hitler? Who is Spain? They're seemingly nonsense questions. They're questions that don't make sense. But there's a kind of perverse logic to them. Often when we come to the scriptures, our questions don't match the things that God wants to say. And so our answers inevitably end up as yes and no. On one hand, if we take the answer one way, well, then the answer is yes. But if we take the question another way, then the answer is no. And one of the questions that we're kind of exploring this morning is when and where is church? And in some ways, it's a bit of a nonsense question. In some ways, it's a very logical question. When is church? 9.30 on a Sunday morning, 5.30 on a Sunday evening. Where is church? It's in the Cherrybrook Community Center. It's a reasonable question. But then we start exploring, well, when does church actually start? Did it start the moment you walked in the building? Or did it start at 9.30? Or did it start at 9.35 when we really start the service? When does church end? When ought church end? How long should a sermon go for? Should we see all of Sunday as church? Should we be coming back? Should we spend more time with one another, less time with one another? I don't know whether this church has had any experience of the Ugandan bishop Alfred Olwa uh, he was at Moor College while i getting a few nods. Um, I thought he might have had something to do with this church. Uh, the last time I heard him preach, um, he was interviewed beforehand, and uh, he said, "Do you know what we call a 20-minute sermon in Uganda?" And he said, "A warm-up." <laughs> How long should church go for? We hear of the church services that goes for hours. We hear of the patterns, particularly in the States, where actually everyone comes together for Sunday school, children and adults before church, and then they have church together. We know of the cultures of, uh, where church ought to be twice a day in the expectations of some people. Is church church, however, when it's not churched? It's a strange question. Were we a part of church at 8.30 this morning? Were we a part of church at 12.30 this afternoon? When is church church and when is it not church? And what goes around that are important questions that we need to answer. But they're important questions that we don't lay laws down on. Because if you've ever thought about those questions in light of scripture you might know that the scriptures don't say anything about it either. Where should you meet? How often should you meet? When should you meet? These are questions that the Bible is content not to answer. And it's important we don't lay laws on upon each other, but rather we pursue the desires that God has for us. Well, when and where is church? Uh, Throughout the uh, New Testament, the word church is used uh, a few times, uh, but usually it's talking about a church at one particular location, a gathering at one particular location. So we can talk about the church at Ephesus, we can talk about the church in Colossae, we can talk about the church in Rome, we can talk about the churches in the Corinthian region, we can talk about uh, the church that meets in particular people's homes. And so in Romans 16, uh, Phoebe uh, is a servant of the church at Ken Cray. Uh Other people meet in the home of uh, other people. Lydia has a church in her home and So on and so forth. You can be from a church, even if the church isn't particularly meeting at that point. And so when uh, Paul uh, helps organise the the charity, the donation from the Asian churches to uh, the church in Jerusalem, uh, you can talk about the church in Jerusalem, even if they're not particularly meeting, and you can talk about the representatives from those different churches in Asia Minor. So you can belong to something even if it's not necessarily meeting at the time. And occasionally, in fact, once in the New Testament, and you have it there in all its pride and glory, Acts 9.31, occasionally, as in just this instance, uh, the Bible is content to speak of church as a global thing, as something that all churches belong to. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. There are lots of churches in those places, but it's described as a singular church. There's no when and where to that, even though there might be a when and where to the other churches, the church in Corinth, the church in Rome, the church that meets in somebody's house. As you can see there in 1 Corinthians 11, sometimes church is gathered and sometimes it's not. In the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, so there's a time in which they're not together, it's not for the better but for the worse. For, in the first place, when you come together as a church... I hear that there are divisions among you. And so through that passage, he keeps talking about when they come together. So our reality as Christians is that at times we are at church with one another and at other times we're not. And yet we still belong conceptually to the church that is in Cherrybrook. That makes sense. But... There's another sense in the scriptures in which we are always at church. We have to go back to to the book of Deuteronomy. We have to go back to Sinai and Horeb. We have to go back to that first church and remember what church used to be like And here this week, as you know, over the last few weeks, we've been comparing Sinai with the New Testament church, the reality of church under the Old Covenant gathered at Sinai, gathered in the tabernacle, gathered at the temple, and we've been comparing it with the reality, no longer a shadow, but the reality that we have in the Lord Jesus. Here in these passages that we look at today, we see that contrast driven sharply The break, the discontinuity, the difference between us and those under the Old Covenant. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses recalls what happened 40 years previously. That they had gathered at Sinai. There was thick cloud and darkness and gloom. They heard the voice of God speak. Our NIV translation has left it a little bit odd and confusing in a way it's translated. It said, we can hear God speak and live. Uh, the, the sense of the original is actually about there's something bizarre and unusual about that, that a man could hear, that a people could hear God speak and still live. Such things are not supposed to happen. And so the whole point of that narrative is that they put a distance between God speaking to them, God meeting with them directly, and themselves as the people of God. Moses, you go and stand in our place and hear God speak, and then uh, you tell us everything that we're supposed to, uh, to do. That is not the New Testament church. That is not where we are now in Christ. Hebrews 12, verse 18, We have not come to what may be touched blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. I'm not sure how you actually touch any of those things, uh, but you get the point. It's not a tangible, a physical reality that we're experiencing. The sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. That is not where we are. (coughs) Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God but here's where he reinterprets it. He's not talking about a physical place in Jerusalem. He's talking about a spiritual reality, the heavenly Jerusalem. And that gathering of God's people to himself is a constant and eternal reality. We've come to a heavenly Jerusalem. It includes innumerable angels in festal gathering it includes verse 23 the assembly literally the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven it includes being gathered to God the judge of all the spirits of the righteous made perfect to Jesus the mediator of this new covenant and his blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel right now at this very moment if you belong to jesus you are in the very presence of god spiritually and you are not alone there you are with your brothers and sisters in christ you are with god himself through jesus and his blood And angels, in innumerable angels, in festal gathering, are there also. What we do here occasionally and sometimes, in this case 9.30 on a Sunday morning or 5.30 on a Sunday afternoon, what we do occasionally is a spiritual constant. What we can't see and yet we know Is that spiritually we're in the presence of God what we have individually we have corporately because as you know from Ephesians chapter 2 what has God done we were dead in our sins he has raised us up with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms at God's right hand Colossians what does he call us to do he calls us to set our eyes on things above why? Because that's where Jesus is at the right hand of God. And why? Because that's where we are because our lives are hidden in Christ in God. When and where is church? Well, we can talk about the earthly church, or as it's more commonly called, the visible church, that will meet sometimes and will meet in a particular time and in a particular place, and that will come and go. But spiritually, an invisible church, if you like, that meets constantly and it meets always and it meets in the very throne room of God. Every time we stand and we say the creed, what do we declare? That we believe in one church, we believe in a holy church. We believe in a Catholic church. And we believe in an apostolic church. There is a church currently meeting in Cherrybrook. In fact, there are probably several churches meeting in Cherrybrook at this very moment. There are churches meeting all over Sydney. At this very moment there are churches meeting all over the country and across the course of this 24-hour period across the globe thousands upon ten thousands of churches will meet but there is only one church in the end and that's the church spiritual of which we express and reflect The church that exists all the time and that church is not profane it's not secular it's not of this world but it is called out of this world it is called for a particular purpose in God's sight and it is gathered to him uniquely in other words it is holy And because it's one, it is also Catholic. Here's where we get a bit confused. Because when we talk about Roman Catholics, we like to talk about them as Catholics. But it would be a much better habit if we stopped calling Roman Catholics Catholics and called them Romans. (laughs) Sounds odd, doesn't it? It should be the Roman church, rather than the Catholic church. What does it mean to be Catholic? It means that there is a universality to church. God gathers people from every tribe, language, nation and tongue. God gathers old and young, rich and poor, those with status and those without, the strong and the weak. God gathers people from every walk of life. But more than that, God gathers people in every age. And spiritually, anyone who enters into the kingdom of God belongs to that church throughout the ages. Because when someone becomes a Christian, their life is hidden in Christ, are they not? And when they die, are they not spiritually still with him? Though they may have passed for a while from this earthly life, yet their lives are safeguarded in Christ. They still belong to him. They are still with him, and therefore they are still in the kingdom, in his gathering, in his church. And so as you see here in Hebrews 12, our gathering is to all the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. They are not lost. And the image that we see in the book of Revelation is that even those who have passed are still with God and gathered with God. The Catholicity of the church is about the church being everywhere through all ages. God gathers and keeps a people to himself. And that, brothers and sisters, belongs to you and to me. Don't sacrifice the word to the Roman church. Preserve it to describe something glorious about what God is doing for us spiritually. And as we saw last week, it's apostolic. Not in the sense that there are still apostles, because there aren't. Not in the sense that bishops are apostles, because they're not. Not even in the sense that there is a line of bishops extending from the early church right through to the bishops you and I have today. There is a continuous line of, this Friday, Kanishka Rafal will be consecrated as bishop. He'll be consecrated as bishop by other bishops who were consecrated as bishops by other bishops, and that line is traceable all the way back to the early church. But even that is not what apostolic is talking about. It's talking about what Ephesians 2 said, that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. It is built on the word that God has given us through the apostles. When and where is church? Church is now. Church is everywhere, spiritually discerned. Church always is, even when we're not meeting together. Even when we're separated by distance. Yet the Apostle Paul can talk about being with a church in spirit. Brothers and sisters, we are not alone. But we belong to something far greater than the eye can see, far more majestic than we can imagine far more permanent than we can describe, far more sure than we can ever experience in these earthly meetings. But what then do we do with these earthly meetings? As we see the vision of our spiritual reality, what does that mean for our earthly reality? Well, one thing is for sure in the scriptures, is that the presence of the spiritual reality does not get us out of the earthly reality. It's all right, I'm saved, I'm part of God's church, I'm in his church spiritual, so it doesn't matter whether I'm meeting here or now or not because I'm still part of his church. Nowhere in scripture do we ever see a sense of that. In fact, we see the exact opposite. Two chapters earlier in Hebrews, and we'll explore this more tonight, He says do not give up in the habit of meeting with one another but meet all the more as you see the day approaching the vision of what we are spiritually should not be something that stops us from meeting together but actually something that spurs us to meet together to express and to reflect the heavenly spiritual reality that we exist within. Coming back to our catch-22 odd questions, do you ever find yourself asking, how often should I go to church? Have you ever asked that question of yourself? Has it come up in your minds as we've talked this Uh, about church across the course of this term how often how long should church be these are the wrong questions to ask the question we ought to ask is how much more can i go to church how much more can i express the heaven the reality of what i have in jesus how much more Can I meet with God's people in Jesus' name to hear him speak and to respond to him? How much more can I do those things? Because the moment we lay a law down, you need to go to church once a week. You need to go to church and Bible study. You need to go to church twice a week. If you haven't gone to church for three hours of your week then the moment we start doing that we become legalists and we start ticking the box to say yes I've done enough that's not the way the scriptures approach this the scriptures assume something different that your heart before God your desire before God will be to pursue relationships. Back in third year of Moore College, uh, Emma and I uh, did the Doctrine of Church for a term with a particular lecturer whose name was Robert Doyle, who had a certain reputation for gruffness and pig shooting and all those kinds of things. and. Um, Uh, He also liked to play with his students' minds. Uh, I often tell Titus that my favourite toy is his mind. Um, And uh, I feel like the classes at Moore College were this lecturer's favourite toy. Uh, He would refuse to answer some things the way that we wanted to answer. And a dear friend of mine, Titus's godfather, uh, once asked in class, how often should we go to church? And the lecturer, Robert Doyle's response was, maximise relationship asked another question the answer maximize relationship again and again and again for about five minutes his only answer was maximize relationship he wouldn't put a law down on how often we should go to church instead he called us to a heart disposition because the reality is some of us are frail some of us are weak some of us are immunocompromised. Some of us find getting out of the house are very difficult. To lay the same expectation of that person on the person who has all the time in the world, namely a uni student, uh, then uh, it just doesn't make sense. How often should we meet together, maximise relationship, Not so much when, but how much more often. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you that in the history of the church, what we do here and now in the 21st century as Sydney Anglicans is a drop in the bucket, is an absolutely poverous state compared to other societies, cultures and ages. We love the Reformation. We love the Reformers, what they did 500 years ago. We love saying, yes, Thomas Cranmer won those things for us. He was burnt at the stake so that you and I could go to church 14 times a week. He wrote that prayer book so that morning and evening, you and I would be immersed in the scriptures, not on a Sunday morning, not on a Sunday morning and Sunday evening, but every morning. And every evening. And if you think that's far-fetched, that's exactly how society was organised in the sixteenth, seventeenth century. Jane Austen, for those of you who love Jane Austen, there's a passage about this in um, Mansfield Park, the late eighteenth century, early nineteenth century is exactly about this conversation some secular people in the story are saying it's ridiculous to want people to go to church morning and evening every day it's an imposition upon them but the heroine of the story defends it and says how good it is that people get to meet together for spiritual guidance every day now that's just a reformer sure and that's just you know Jane Austen and as much as we all love Jane Austen and um but in the book of Hebrews In the book of Acts, what's the assumption? Every day, today, as long as it is called today, meet with one another to ensure that no one is hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Brothers and sisters, I'm not going to lay a law on you, meet 14 times a week. But i will say that the excuses that we come up with are, oh we can read the bible at home now it's actually a denial of god's purposes for us yes read the bible at home of course we read the bible at home but reading the bible together as a congregation to meet with god to hear him speak or as hebrew 12 put it do not refuse him who is speaking that is god's desire for us and so this morning i am going to ask you not to meet certain times a week i'm going to ask you to examine your heart what place what desire does the meeting with god's people have in your heart and mind perhaps repentance is needed Perhaps it will feel like a duty for a while. Perhaps there are real issues that hinder you from meeting as often as you would like. But those things that hinder should come to us as a burden. I really want to be with God's people, but my health precludes me. My age precludes me. I really wish I could. How much more could I meet with them, but I'm prevented? For those of us who have the time those of us who have the ability those of us who can organize and restructure our lives what place does the meeting with God's people to hear God speak have in our hearts do we long for it desire it more and more as we see the day approaching do we make the time for it prioritize it Or is it the thing that escapes, the thing that gets shunted out, the thing that we try to do the minimum of rather than the maximum of? Over this past 12 months, we've been blessed in this world of technology to have live stream for church. But it's an inadequate form of meeting, isn't it? As we return to a sense of normalcy, we've kept the live stream because it's allowed people who can't meet to keep going. But it's also a danger, is it not? For laziness. It's easier to stay in my pajamas and have a cup of coffee and wander around the house while church happens and then I can just flick it off and get on with my day. I don't even have to travel. Let's not reduce our meeting to that. But to be back together, pursuing meeting together, hearing God's word together, longing for it, desiring it, the visible as a reflection and expression of the invisible. We are one church. We're a holy church. We're a Catholic and apostolic church. When and where do we meet? Always, everywhere, spiritually. How much more, therefore, do we pursue it in this age to the glory of our God? And next week, we will see exactly why it's so majestic, so marvelous in God's sight that you and I meet together to his praise and glory. Let me pray. Father in heaven, please fill us with a vision of that that cannot be seen. Please open our eyes to that which is invisible. Please, Father, fill our hearts with such love and delight to meet with you, with your people, that we might see the constant spiritual reality every day, as long as it is called the day, May we see where we stand in your presence together. Father, thank you for such grace. Thank you for such mercy. And fill our hearts and minds, our joy and delight and desire, our duty and our habits to meet with your people as often as we may. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.